0: This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchNC.org. Now let's turn our hearts to the word of God.
1: Glad you're here. Our scripture this morning that we will look at together is uh, begins in Genesis chapter 27, verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while, until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women if Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padon Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paran Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebairoth. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And as he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, So that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you.
0: Amen. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Jacob said it first. right. I can feel his mighty presence and his grace. Welcome this morning to Antioch. Is the microphone working? Can you hear me? Turn it up, Luke. Just when you think it's safe for Jacob to go back to life as usual, you find out that Esau plans to kill him. Right? No big deal. As soon as the time for mourning for dear old dad is done, Esau tells somebody, I'm going to kill my brother. Right? Now, Esau doesn't know. And Rebecca doesn't know that Isaac's going to live, what, 20 more years. So he's going to wait a long time to kill Jacob. Of course, that never happens. But uh, Esau, or Rebekah, immediately springs into action. You know, one of the recurring themes, we've talked about this in the very beginning when we started in, in Genesis, one of the recurring themes in this book is the younger uh, being served by the older. Right? The younger being served by the older. We see that here. We're going to see it even more starkly with Joseph. Uh, but listen, it's not about birth order. God God's not, doesn't have anything against firstborns. Some of you will be glad to hear that. I married a firstborn. She's a lot better person than I am. So God doesn't have, have anything against firstborns. God has something against the proud and the self-reliant. It's only the weak and the humble whom God saves. Jesus said it like this, He said, you know, I didn't come to help the the healthy, I came to to reach the sick. There are none without Christ who are spiritually well, but many who think they are. And God turns His attention not to to those folks, but to those who are weak, the sick, uh, the broken. James said it like this. I think this is a great companion verse to this passage. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, Esau, makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose this to no purpose that the Scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell on us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Jacob's not very likable yet, but look, let's admit, he is the more humble brother. He is the weaker brother, and that's what gives him favor. Esau is the proud and very worldly one. So let's look at today's passage under three main points, the plan, the dream, and the beginning. First, there's the plan. Rebecca hears somehow that Esau is planning to kill Jacob although uh, he's waiting for Isaac to die. It'll be 20 more years, but nobody knows that, right? Except God. And so she springs into action. She tells Jacob, can you imagine? <laughs> she says, do you know how your brother Esau comforts himself? You know how he goes to sleep at night? He's thinking these warm, fuzzy thoughts about strangling you to death, right? He comforts himself with the thought that one day he's going to kill you. He says, how do I loathe thee? Let me count the ways. You know, thinking of revenge makes Esau happy. And folks, if we're in that place, if you're ever in that place where you get really happy thinking about how you're going to get revenge on someone who's hurt you or how you're hoping someone will get revenge on that person who's hurt you because you want to be a little passive-aggressive, not actively hurt someone, you're in a dangerous place, aren't you? Dangerous place when all you can think about is paying someone back Who has hurt you in the past? You know, Jesus has something to say about that. He said, basically, you're going to be in prison. He says, anyone who refuses to forgive is already in prison. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So even if it's unforgiveness that doesn't lead to murder, but passive aggressiveness, hatred in your heart, We know it's the same prison, right? So Rebecca says to Jacob, okay, here's what we're going to do. Obey my voice. Now, we've heard that before, right? Rebecca said, obey my voice. And she had him deceive his father. This time, she's got a good idea. Obey my voice. Get out of here. Go away from this place. Go to my brother Laban's house until this all blows over. Because when Esau forgets what he's promised to do to you, I will send word and you can come back here. Little does Rebecca know that she will never see her favorite son's face again. Well, Rebecca then defaults to her bent towards manipulation and deception to get what she wants from her husband, Isaac. Here's a note. Marriage counseling badly needed here. But she puts on a great drama, possibly her hand on her forehead, and she says, I hate my life, I I just can't stand my life because of these Hittite women. And if Jacob was to marry one of these, what would be the point of living, right? So it's very dramatic, but she's manipulating Isaac so that he will do what he she wants him to do, and it works. He comes up with this brilliant idea. He says, you know what we should do, Rebecca? We should I'm going to send Jacob to Laban, right? He's going to leave this place and he'll go and find a wife from the same place that Isaac, right? I found a wife from Haran. So she gets her way and he calls Jacob to himself and blesses him and sends him away. You know what I love about this scene though with her manipulating her husband and Isaac doing what she wants him to do. And then Jacob getting sent away because his brother wants to what? He wants to kill him. You know what I love about this? But Because even in this dysfunctional family, make no bones about it, this family is messed up and so is ours so often, right? Even in this dysfunctional family, God's blessing them. God's hand is on them. God loves them. And he does us as well. Even with our glaring faults and witnesses, he continues to weaknesses. He calls us higher up and further into the sanctification process. So Isaac calls Jacob in and he blesses him again. He sends them to Panam and and he says, take one of your cousins as a wife, you know, daughter of, of Uncle Laban. And he says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply. And may he give the blessing of Abraham to you. And to your offspring. Now, what does that mean? When Isaac blesses Jacob that way, what does that tell you? Right? Because Isaac wanted who to get the blessing? Esau. And now he finally realizes, I think, I'm reading between the lines here, but I think Isaac finally gets it. This is God's plan. This is the the son of promise. I love Esau because he makes me stuff that tastes so good and he smells like a field. But but this is, this is God's man. And he finally recognizes that. And so he sends Jacob out with the blessing. And Esau is listening to this. He's hearing his father bless his brother again, which probably makes him grind his teeth. But he also hears that his father says, don't marry one of these Canaanite women right? Marry someone who's not a Canaanite. I'm going to send you up to put on a Ram so you can marry another woman. And and this is, Esau's listening to this and he's standing there with a Canaanite wife on his left and a Canaanite wife on his right. But he realizes that, you know, he needs to marry somebody besides a Canaanite. So what does he do? he goes and gets a daughter of Ishmael. Now, at least she's not a Canaanite. But as Derek Kidner wrote, Esau took the point, his attempt to do the approved thing though, was like most religious efforts of the natural man, superficial and ill-judged. To take a third wife, even though an Ishmaelite was better than a Hittite, was hardly the way back to blessing. By the way, I like that quote. Grief walks upon the heels of pleasure, married in haste, We repent at leisure. Okay, so that leads us to the dream. It could be argued that the two most important events in Jacob's life happened at night. One while he was leaving Canaan for Haran, and the other when he was leaving Haran for Canaan 20 years later. We'll get to that in a few weeks. In each case, Jacob is alone. Right? When he has this dream... He's alone. He's disconnecting from Esau, and he's going to be connected to Laban for 20 years. And when he's returning to Canaan, he's alone. He sends his family out and he's alone in this place where he wrestles with, you know, the man who, probably the pre-incarnate Christ, he's alone. He's disconnecting then from Laban and he's moving back towards Esau. And these two nighttime events shape and change Jacob. Alan Ross writes this, and I like this quote. I think we can probably relate to this. We're a lot like this, right? Jacob's life functioned on two levels. His conflicts with individuals, you never have those, do you? And his encounters with God. He's constantly in conflict. Right now he's in conflict with Esau. He's going to be in conflict with Laban. and 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 at the same time, He is meeting with God. Although he doesn't understand all of it yet, God is coming to meet with him, to be with him, to shepherd him. And guys, look, we're constantly in conflict with people because we're sinners and they're sinners, and that's always going to cause conflict. And so that's why we desperately need to constantly be in encounters with God. And we don't have to wait till we dream something and see this vision. Don't do that. Simply encounter God every day here. In the Word. And He's with us, and He's taking us through those conflicts with family, friends, and enemies. So in the dream, Jacob sees a ladder or a staircase. Most most people believe that what he saw was not the, the picture. You'll see it again in a second, of a of a you know, like a Werner ladder leaning up against your house so you can clean your gutters, right? It would be more like those ziggurats. Remember when we talked about the Tower of Babel? And they believed that what they were building was a ziggurat that had all these staircases that continually go higher and higher and higher. So probably what he saw was a staircase going towards heaven and not a ladder. But it really doesn't matter. The, the point is, is that he sees this structure that's between earth and heaven, and he sees angels... And he knows they're angels. Somehow he'd never seen an angel before, but he knows they're angels. They, these aren't, these aren't humans going up and down. But they are, are descending and they are ascending on this structure between earth and heaven and between heaven and earth. Right? And it points to this intimate relationship which the Lord has with his creation. This is not a vision that and Jacob saw one time, and that only happened one time, and it was just a singular event where angels were going up and down. That's an eternal event, at least until, until Christ comes back. Maybe it won't happen in, 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 you know, in eternity, but it's happening now. There are angels coming and going all the time because God is intimately connected to His creation and especially to His people. Right, and then there is the Lord himself. he stands above all of this, and Jacob sees the Lord above this and 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 the Lord is not just speaking a general blessing over the people who will believe, he speaks directly to Jacob. In fact, the wording here it says that the Lord stood above it, the ladder or staircase. You may have a little note in your Bible at the bottom that says it also can mean that he stood with him or beside him, right? When it says the Lord stood above it, it also means that he stood with Jacob. He's standing beside Jacob, who's lying on the ground, a stone as a pillow, and Jacob is having this dream, and he sees the Lord, and the Lord is standing with him. And the Lord says to him what? I'm with you, Jacob. I will keep you, Jacob wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. In other words, this is my plan, Jacob. Yeah, you're leaving this land, this promised land, and you're going to the land of your 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 ancestors, or your, what is it, forefathers? Your forefathers, right? You're going back to Haran, that area, but I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to be with you the whole way. I'm never going to leave your side. What a moment in the life of God's people. Because this applies to me and you before. What's the contrast between this this ladder, this staircase going up to heaven? What's the story that we read way earlier that is the opposite of this? Right? It's the Tower of Babel. Right? In the Tower of Babel man was trying to build a structure so that he could get up to God somehow through my own means, through my own effort, through my own guile, my own cunning, my own engineering prowess. I'm going to make a way that I can get to God. And God laughed at that. But here he shows Jacob, this is the way you get to God. I'm the way you get to God. And the only way you can get to God is by my grace and by my power and I'm opening that up to you, Jacob. Remember what Jesus said to Nathaniel after Nathaniel says, "How do you, how do you know my name? You you knew me because I was standing under the fig tree." And he's all, "I know all about you, Nathaniel." And then Jesus says, "This truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man." Isn't that great? So Jesus connects himself to this story, and he says. Hey, you know what, Nathaniel? The angels that ascend and descend, they descend on me. I am the ladder. I am the staircase. I am the way to the Father. I'm the only way to heaven. And that's what Jesus said, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except, except through me. You know, we we have a story to tell to the nations, don't we? That Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the staircase. Jesus is the way. Well, that leads to the last point, and that is the beginning. Jacob woke up, and the beginning of the change in his life had happened here, at this place, in that night, during that dream. The beginning of the change. Now, it's going to be a slow change. But the beginning, do you remember, do you guys remember where you were and what was going on when the beginning of the change happened in your life? Right? I remember vividly the summer when God got a hold of my life. And and for many years after that, I was a very immature believer. Not that I'm mature now, I'm still working on that. But I was very immature for years, but I, I can always point back to that's the beginning. That's when God said, Hey, I'm with you and I will be with you and you're with me. Let's walk this road together. And, and, and that's what the experience that Jacob would have. I, I think that Jacob would tell us if he were here right now, he would tell us that, that he understood for the first time during that dream. That life was not all about him. His cunning, his guile, his ability to make things happen for himself, his ability to reach out and grab somebody by the heel so he could get something that he wanted. Jacob, for the first time, realized life's much bigger than me. It's not about me. There's a bigger picture. And I think this is the beginning of a 20-year process that's going to break Jacob and shake Jacob, shape Jacob and finally bring Jacob to the end of Jacob, to the end of himself, and he's going to even get a new name. You'll hear about that later. That day will be glorious, but this one is powerful as well. So Jacob knew several things after that dream. Number one, he said, the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. You know, saints, that can be our experience and should be our experience every single day, except we do know it. We can know it. We should know it. That wherever we go, the Lord is there, right? Wherever I go, I'm taking the Spirit of the Lord with me. Why? Because we don't worship God on that mountain or in that temple. Jesus said to the woman at the well, you know, the, 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 we worship in spirit and in truth, and the Father seeks those who will worship. So the the first revelation that Jacob found was, you know what? God's not in heaven. I mean, He is, but He's here. the, The Lord is in this place. Wherever we go, we can be sure the Lord is in that place as well. Number two, he realized this place is awesome because God is awesome. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I think Jacob was given a glimpse in the Old Testament thousands of years ago. At the first time of what we all know very well, that the Lord is the gate of heaven, that he stands with us. And Jacob was excited that he wasn't alone on this journey. He didn't know what was going to happen in Aram and you know with Laban and, and the the family back from way back in the day, Abraham's family. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew this. I'm not going there by myself. The Lord's with me, and the Lord is awesome. David wrote a song about that, right? Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? I think part of spiritual maturity, part of us growing up and becoming more like Christ day by day, is growing moment by moment in that confidence that, that God is with us and that we're never alone, because that understanding leads to worship. That's what we see Jacob doing here when he wakes up. He's he's worshiping the Lord. George Bush, the Bible scholar, not the president, said this, His feelings upon awakening were those of grateful wonder, mingled with emotions of reverential awe, bordering close upon dread. <laughs> close upon dread. The two Hebrew words that are, that are used there for for reverence in this text when when Jacob was 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 awed by God. Two Hebrew words there uh, combined are Yare, which is to fear, and Shaka, which means falling down. It doesn't matter what those words are, you don't have to know those words. But reverence is we fear God so much that we fall down before Him and worship Him, His holiness Not that we're afraid he's going to do something bad to us. He's good. But it's fear that leads to worship. That's what Hebrews 12 is about there. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. There's that fear for our God is a consuming fire. I think reverence means we have a love for the Lord. Listen, young people. We love the Lord so much that we don't want to displease him. We don't want to displease him. Now, are we gonna displease him? Are we gonna well, let's not use that word. Are we going to sin? Are we going to fall short of his glory? Everybody said, Yes. But does that mean that God takes his hand off, moves away, says, I'm done with you, wipes his, you know, wipes the mat with us and walks away from us? Everybody said, No. But our our desire, our worship, our reverence is, Lord, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to bring shame to your name. I don't want to bring shame to the gospel. Lord, help me to live with that kind of reverence that means I want to please you no matter what. So Jacob may have gone back to sleep after this. I don't know how he could. But the next morning, we're not told, but the next morning he gets, gets up and the first thing he does is he sets up a pillar and he pours oil on it. And he gives the place a new name, Bethel. Now, some things I read this week says, you know, pillars are kind of outlawed in Deuteronomy. God didn't, God didn't want people to put pillars up, put an altar up, and you worship the Lord there. But pillars uh, in, in Deuteronomy says, don't do that. Don't do that stuff. But, but, but Jacob puts up a pillar, and he renames the place Bethel, which means house of God. And then he enters into, you notice what he does? He enters into kind of an if-then covenant with God. You see that? Hey God, if you do this, and if you do this, and if you do this, and if you do this, then you're going to be my God. Now, what do you think about that, right? We never do anything like that, right? But that's, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's Jacob, I think in his immaturity, is making a promise to God that's based on, Hey God, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to follow you if you do these certain things the way I think you ought to do these certain things. And we can judge him for that, but it's a first step. And we're not to despise, you know, uh, um, small beginnings, right? And I like what Kidner says about this. Derek Kidner wrote, Jacob's replies often condemned as mere bargaining, yet it was as thorough a response as he knew how to make. It expressed profound awe, preoccupation, first of all, with the one who had been encountered, not with the things that had been promised. Further, he rightly saw his tithe, not as a gift, but as giving back. So if we give Jacob some slack here, some grace, some slippage, then we say, you know what? That was kind of an immature promise he made to God, but that's the best he knew at this point in his life. He's a young man. He's a brand new follower of God, if you will. And he's going to grow and he's going to mature just as we are doing now. All right, what do we take away from this? God delights in helping the humble and the weak, but he opposes the proud and the self-reliant. Esau, we're going to see him later, and, and there's going to be reconciliation between him and Jacob, but as I said last week, Esau is not in the line of promise, and he's rejected. God, you know, I think one of the prophets says, you know, Jacob I have loved, and Esau have I hated. It means I have, dis- I have rejected him because of his pride because of his self reliance but God delights in helping the humble and the weak number two Jesus is the ladder he's the staircase he's the only way to heaven and to the father we are called to, to know him and to make him known as we've said so many times before we have the greatest news that the world could ever possibly hear the greatest news has nothing to do with presidents or popes or politicians, or movie stars, or rock stars, or, or billionaires. The greatest news that the, the world could ever hear is, hey, come and be chainless, as Caleb said this morning. I've got good news. You don't have to drag that sin weight around any longer. I've got great news. There's one who came to take your place, to take that sin, and you can walk in freedom with him. And it doesn't matter who's in the White House. And it doesn't matter, you know, what happens with the economy. It doesn't matter what happens with our nation. We love our nation. But Christ is our deliverer. Not men. Number three, sanctification is a lifelong process for you and for me, just as it was for Jacob. Isn't that good news? That God is not done with us. And he's going to keep working on us and he's going to keep working through us. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for Jacob's dream because, Lord, that's not just a dream for us. It's a reality. We we see you, God, high and lifted up. We see the Son of Man seated at your right hand, and he's interceding for us. And he has the right to do so because he came as the high priest, and he offered a sacrifice, and it was himself. And because of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, because of of his broken body on the cross, Lord, we have been invited to come into your presence, not just for today, but for eternity. And Lord, we thank you for that. And we praise you this morning that you've called us uh, up to a higher place. We're seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus and you're continually uh, shaping us and forming us into the person you want us to be, conformed to the image of your Son. Lord, as we get ready to take communion, prepare our hearts uh, as we look back to the cross and look forward to that day when we will be with you forever and we will break bread together with you at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Until then, Lord, help us to be faithful, help us to love you and to, to serve you with reverential awe. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.